Welcome in to 2 4 Drafts, the Monday edition of 2 4 Drafts. I'm Austin Gale with Mike Renner. We've got a loaded podcast today. We're going to talk about some of our favorites, some of our guys in the 2020 NFL Draft, the guys we like higher the most. And we also interviewed Ian Harditz, Roto World Analyst and former Notre Dame wide receiver Chase Claypool. Excited. I know you're a gold domer, Mike. I mean, you're excited for that Chase Claypool interview. I, so I had a guy... Oh, man, I can't remember who it is now. One of the one of the Notre Dame like B writers or one of the, like, the Notre Dame rivals guys maybe reached out to me and asked me like what round grades I initially had like way back in maybe January on these guys. And I was like, you know, Laquar, I'm pretty high on first uh, round. Um, and, and then I got around to Claypool and I was like, probably like midday three guy. Like I'm not a big fan. And he's like midday. He was like floored. He didn't he didn't <laughs> believe me. And I was like, I just don't see it really. And so, unfortunately, after my, after getting accused of homerism for all my Notre Dame takes, Chase Claypool's one I just like don't get quite the hype on. But we'll I see. mean, you've, you've comped like Denzel Mims reminding you of like Miles Boykin. I mean, Chase Claypool in a similar way, you just didn't see it all didn't year, but then he has this explosive, like stupid combine to where now everyone's very high on Chase Claypool, but the film really wasn't didn't show that same explosiveness that he showed out at the combine. That interview comes up a little bit later. Let's talk about our my guys, our favorites in the 2020 NFL draft. I'll let you kick it off with your favorite prospect or one of your favorite prospects in this draft. I to pick one, one top my guy. I, these guys are all equal in my book. Oh, wow. Tani Muti is the one I'm going to start off with, the Fresno State guard, because it's been a long time coming. Uh, I was watching him way back in 18, 2018, hoping for a big year when he switched to tackle and then he tore his Achilles. Uh, I remember it was after his freshman year. I got a, I got a message from Zoltan Bidet, a guy who, a Hungarian. Uh, is he Hungarian? I, damn, I, I should get that right. I think it's, I think he's Hungarian. He lives in Hungary. Send me a, DM, a message. It's like, you should watch this guy's highlight tape for Fresno state. It's awesome. I'm like, yeah, whatever. All right. I go watch it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> shit, that was actually awesome. I've never seen an offensive lineman's highlight tape. That was awesome. And then after that, I was like, this guy's on like the radar, like officially on the radar, hoping for big things from him. And then every time he played after that, he was just as dominant, but he just barely played. And so like physically can do things no other interior offensive lineman in this class can. And it's already been productive on the football field, but just the injuries is the only thing at this point really worrying me. If he's fully healthy, I feel good about this guy being a high quality guard in the NFL. Yeah. Where, where do you think he ends up going? Because I know you have him valued right now as a top 40 player in this class, but I just can't imagine teams getting on board with the idea of his of him as like a high day two pick. I, I think he could fall as far as day three because of those injury concerns. Yeah, I do. I just can't see him falling all the way to day three. I bet he goes back into the third because he's like anyone that watches the tape is going to have a very similar opinion to me. I think I mean, it's, it's just he just dominates. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right, I'll go next here. I think all these are pretty equal. Maybe one of them a little bit lower than the rest because he's probably not going to get drafted. But we'll start with uh, Darnay Holmes, the UCLA cornerback. I really do like this guy on the field and off the field. In the recruiting process, going to UCLA, he told the UCLA coaches he was going to graduate in two two and a half years and bounce. Took over like 18, 20 units in the summer to get that done. Ended up doing that, getting invited to the Senior Bowl. I think coming out as like a sophomore. Like absurd what this guy did to kind of get in and get 
now at the collegiate level. He also has great production on the football field, takes risks. He'll tell you they're calculated risks, but they're a little bit more <laughs> risk adverse than you'd like to, or not, not as risk adverse as you'd like them to be, but former five-star recruit, very good athleticism, obviously a smaller cornerback destined to play nickel or slot cornerback in the NFL, but I think he could be a damn good one in slot cornerbacks start in today's NFL. I think Darnay Holmes starting in the slot for your team is going to be good. Yeah, man, I, I remember watching him last year and he had the reps against gosh, Nikhil Harry, you know, just whoop Nikhil Harry up, beat Nikhil Harry. Up. That's when I was, that's when I was like, dude, Nikhil Harry can't be, can't get away from this guy. I can't shake him. He's not playing, you know, he's, I'm not drafting this guy in the first round. And then the Marquise Brown rep where he's stride for stride, you know, goes up for the ball better than Brown does down the football field. That was like, damn, like there's some high level stuff that, you know, guys can't make, like you can make those plays. You can't like, you're not just, you're not a shitty corner who can just make, makes that play on a whim. And then is you know, not ever gonna, you know, play in the league. No, if you make a play like that, you're going to play in the league. You might not necessarily be elite, but you're going to make it there. And so that's when you got my radar. Now he didn't have a great year this past year, but he started with an ankle injury. And so I'm still on board with him. I'm, I'm with you. I'm a big fan of this game. I mean, there's a handful of like slot cornerback types in this class that are awesome. Like Kayvon Wallace, a of good slot class. yeah, Darnay Holmes, Amik Robertson. There's some guys that are feisty, aggressive, you know, Michigan State. I, yeah, Josiah Scott of Michigan State. I mean, there's some good slot cornerback prospects. And I like Darnay Holmes up there with the best of them. All right. Give me your next my guy here. All right. My next my guy is Jonah Jackson, Ohio State. And. Let me give a little background. I am a, I love balance for interior offensive linemen and tackles, just offensive line. I think it's a very balance-based position. You want guys who can stay on their feet. Like you don't want that guy who's ever falling face first off blocks. I just think that it's such a big part is being able to win ugly and you know there's going to be traffic. You're not going to be have the best footing, but being able to uh, you know regather your base and execute the block is huge. And the guys that have that, I'll I'll cover far higher than any sort of, you know, physical, any physical freak from a strength power perspective. I think Tani Muti has great balance too. You know, the guard I just mentioned before this, my other, my guy on the offensive line and back to last year, my favorite guy in that class was Elkton Jenkins who had exceptional balance. And he comes in year one and is one of the best pass protect, one of the better pass checking guards in the NFL because of that. And I think his, you know, arrows only pointing upwards. So to me, that's Jonah Jackson in this class. He is the guy with the best balance of any of these interior offensive linemen does not. I, I can't remember a rep seeing rep on his tape where he fell on his face. I'm sure there probably is one, but I can't remember seeing one from watching, you know, a ton of his tape, a ton of his games, even dating back to Rutgers last year at right guard. Uh, I just, the guy is very good in pass protection and that's what I'm going to covet in the NFL all around guard. No, he's never going to be a people over the run game. Never going to be a great run blocker, but he can get the job done in pass pro. I feel like I learned a ton from you doing this podcast and doing the things we do together. But at the senior bowl, I think what I learned quickly was how important balance was for offensive linemen. You saw that when you said, look at his balance and you watch Jonah Jackson at the senior bowl and you go back and watch his tape at Ohio state or even Rutgers, you see just how few times this guy loses his footing, puts himself out of position from a, from a foot, you know, foot technique standpoint. And it's just really impressive what Jonah Jackson does from a balance, uh, from a balance perspective. Very good stuff there. All right. Diving to my next guy here. I'm going to go Aesop Winston Jr. Washington state wide receiver. If you haven't heard of him, it's because he didn't receive a combine invite and probably won't get drafted, but I'm jumping to him next because you watch the tape against UCLA. He toast Darnay Holmes three or four times in that game four touchdowns. He played very well against Darnay Holmes. He has good, good tape. I mean, you tweeted out recently about uh, receiver grades 
against man coverage. You saw Winston Jr. up there with the best in college football. I don't know why he didn't at least get a combine invite. I don't know if I'll dive, you know, I'll really buy into his pro day times, which were impressive. But I think Esau Winston Jr. has more shake than he's getting credit for. I don't know. Maybe an undrafted free agent target that could stick with the team. Yeah, so I think he was third over the last two seasons in yards per route against man coverage. So like he can beat man coverage, and you showed Darnay Holmes that you were super conflicted that game because he really gave Darnay Holmes the business on a handful of true. Uh, reps in that game. I mean, he doesn't fit. He has a great size, six foot, like one ninety. But I will say, of all these fake forties that we're seeing, four two two Jalen Rager, four three eight Cameron Dantzler, his was electronically timed. Uh, uh, Esops like Esop had these whatever the timing system up there and then the time came up on the guys uh the board it wasn't a stopwatch that the guy had that he got a 442 on so a 442 for him I might actually believe based on his tape and what uh the testing setup they had there yeah he's got impre- I'm still really blown away the fact that he did not get a combine invite I'm just blown away his by it. I think he's a- Desmond Patman or right yeah yeah, Desmond Patman's not as good. Yeah, he's not nearly as good as Esau Winston Jr. But I implore you, even if he doesn't stick in the NFL, turn on the tape with Esau. He was very good at the collegiate level. Mike, give me your next guy here. All right, my next guy is another guy who just hasn't played a lot of football. <laughs> Willie Gay Jr., Mississippi State linebacker. I was on uh, before the season. I was like, man, how come like no one's talking about this guy? I mean, like, I know why no one's talking about this guy. He had barely played. wasn't even a starter for Mississippi State. But I'm like, every time he's on the field, like he moves, you can tell when a guy, I mean, obviously he has four, four speed, almost 40 inch vertical at the combine over 11 foot broad jump. Like you could tell that right away from the very first play. You're like, okay, this guy's moving at a different level than other linebackers. He has that capability that you kind of just like you need at the linebacker position nowadays. You can't run a four, seven, five and expect to be a great coverage linebacker. It's just not going to happen in the NFL. It's a speed position now. So he had that. That was evident on his tape. And then he also had exceptional grades. Like he had an 87.1 coverage grade as a freshman, 90.6 as a sophomore heading into this past year. And then, yes, he didn't play a ton this past year with all the suspensions and whatnot, but a 90.0 coverage grade this past year. Like he, every single year, got the job done. And so at that point, yes, it's still a small sample size. Yes, he hasn't had 300 coverage snaps in his entire college career to date, but every time he's on the football field, he's just explosiveness personified. And I think he took a big step forward in that limited sample size this year, 177 snaps. He looked like a much different player than I saw last year in run defense. Yeah, I mean, with Willie Gate Jr., I mean, blew up the combine. The, the film is awesome on the limited sample size you have. And I think the biggest checkmark for me was not the combine. You knew he was going to be super explosive, maybe not as explosive as he was, but still fantastic at the combine. What really you know ticked it for me, and we've talked about this before, but the interview process, according to Daniel Jeremiah and others, is he you know he passed some bo- you know passed some tests there, like not necessarily a bad guy. Tick some boxes with what kind of what I was looking for, but I'm having a bad day today in terms of <laughs> finding words. It's like I'm this is me. Forgetting all the names. This is you forgetting just words. Period. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, but with Willie Gay Jr., I think him, you know, passing the tests in the interview process at the combine was huge, according to Daniel Jeremiah. I think off the field, there are concerns, punched a quarterback in the face, cheated on the chemistry test. But I think I don't think there's systemic concerns. I think he goes to the NFL and treats it like a business decision and really does, you know, blossom into one of the better off-ball linebackers in the NFL. He has the athleticism, the size, I think the demeanor to play the position. You got to be kind of crazy to play off-ball linebacker in the NFL. It's wild how much you get hit and play that position. I think he could go in the NFL and really do some damage. Top of day two, I feel 
so comfortable taking Willie Gay Jr. I know you've mocked him as early as 33 to the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, next guy for me. I'm, I'm all in the Pac-12 today. I have a ton of Pac-12s in my, my guys here. But Michael Pittman Jr., oh, wow. I remember telling you, Mike, before the season, you got to watch this guy. He's a bigger receiver. The first thing I said, bigger receiver, but doesn't really move like one. And when you turn on the 2018 Was it before the receiver? Or was it before yeah, the season? Before the season. It was before the season. It was like week two. Maybe no, I swear it was before the season. I swear it was before okay. the season. Anyway, you turn on the 2018 tape, turn on the 2019 tape. He's a bigger receiver that does not move like one in terms of that he can create separation. He's not like this big body guy that always finds himself in contested catch situations. He can actually separate the short, intermediate, and deep levels of the football field. Sure handed. I think, what, only like six or seven drops in his career. Great five. in contested catch situations. Five. Drops in his career, but Michael Pittman Jr., a super impressive player. The NFL blood, obviously, you know, his dad played in the NFL. I think Michael Pittman goes back into round one, top of round two, and you're getting a very, very good football player. Yeah. I mean, I had no argument here. I'm all in on him as well. I think the only thing I told you this, the only thing like that I'm hesitant about is his sort of athletic, stylistic, and um, just like the production profile reminds me so much of JJ Arstega Whiteside from last year. And and he pooped the bed as a rookie. And now that's like not a death knell. Like he could come back this year and go for a thousand yards. I have no clue what he's going to be. And he was obviously just not on the same page with Carson Wentz a lot of the time as a rookie. But like that's who he like his closest sort of in my mind comp. And I'm just like, oh, I can't get that out of my head, which but yeah. also like similar to Michael Thomas as well from a physical perspective. So it's not it's just, it's idiotic of me to make that sort of one-to-one comparison. So I, I am a hundred percent on board with you there, Mike Pittman. He's almost like a he's safer than guys even ahead of him. I feel like on the board, like he, what he brings to the table, I feel very good about translating to the NFL. But didn't JJ Arcega Whiteside not participate in the athletic testing at the combine and ended up turning in, getting his numbers from his pro day. I feel like Michael Pittman's numbers coming yeah. at the combine I, I think is it more impressive because I know JJ Arthago White said ran like a four five or something along those lines at mm-hmm. Stanford's pro day, but like Pittman, very good three cone, very good 40 yard dash. I mean, all across the board performed well athletically at the combine, where is that kind of a universal baseline for testing? I feel I feel better about Pittman as an athlete than I do JJ Arthago Whiteside because those concerns I think are still kind of showed up in his tape in the NFL at the very least. All right, give me your next guy. All right, my next guy is also wide receiver. Also a bigger dude. Also broke out late in his career, but he's far, far more athletically limited. It's Tennessee's Juwan Jennings, my guy, because he brings something to the table after the catch. And as a big slot receiver, that's just like, I don't think anyone else in this class really does from the, as a pure slot receiver. And that's the thing is I get that he might not get drafted until the fifth, sixth or seventh round. If he gets drafted, like he is limited speed wise. And that shows up on tape. Um, but he's a good route runner from the slot. He has to play from the slot, but he's a good route runner there. Can get open, can manipulate zone coverage, big catch radius kind of guy, but he's not going to be for every offense. And like, not everyone has a position like that in their offense. I, I would love selfishly if he ends up with like the saints, because that I think they would actually, they actually have that role and utilize that in their offense. And like, he's good after the catch and they would covet that as well. So it's going to be, it's going to depend a lot on where he ends up in the NFL, but I think he has a skill set that, can still produce. And yes, I'm still, I'm, I backed off, you know, early round hype on him. I think he's probably a third, fourth rounder realistically, but uh, I think depending on what you use your, how your offense set up, I think you still provide a lot of value there. 
The 29 inch vertical is what kills me. You look up his athletic testing and you see a sub 30. Not explosive. Just, oh man, you hate to see that. But I talked to him a little bit. I remember talking about the combine and you mentioned it was before he did the athletic testing and you mentioned like, hey, you're not going to be the one of the faster guys here or something along those lines. He's like, yeah, if you want a track star, you're going to have to go somewhere else. But he, he did highlight like the best thing I can do is force missed tackles and make plays after the catch. And I think you see that on his tape. If you want to bring him in and let him do that, I think it's all ears. Don't ask him to really extend you know the football field or test test receivers deep or cornerbacks deep let's say that all right staying in the Pac-12 baby Jalen Johnson Utah interviewed him watched a ton of his tape I really do think he's not as scheme limited as some scouting reports maybe suggest I think he can play away from the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage a super smart player compared him to Marcus Peters athletically it matches up I don't know if he has the same dog mentality but I think it's close enough I think Jalen Johnson is is a very impressive cornerback one of my favorites in this class Dude, the more I watch of him, so I wasn't super high on him coming into the year because I thought he was way too risky almost. Like the we talked about his tape study and whatnot. But he was just all over them. I thought he was a little too, like, obviously bit on too many double moves. Was so physical down the football field. Like, he was just a little too much for me. Like, he was a little over the top in his aggressiveness. And I think you found more of that perfect balance this past season in terms of when to, when to go for it. And went to kind of be like, you know, play, uh, went to not take the cheese, you know, so to speak with him. I thought you saw that a lot better this past year. Uh, and yes, he's not a physical freak by any means, but like, like you mentioned all around game, he's not just a press man guy. He's not just an off zone guy. He can really do all, you know, execute any coverage, uh, you want him to play at the NFL level. 100%. All right. One more guy for you. Last one. And I'm going to say I saved the best for last because this guy's the most fun tape of anyone's on this list. Yes, more fun than Antani Muti. It's Geno Stone, the Iowa safety. Most fun tape of any safety in this class. Now, is he going to be good in the NFL? I have no clue, really. I mean, he's not a great athlete either. It's kind of like a theme on mine. I have three I have not no great clue. athletes <laughs> and then one just uber athlete. But I, I, Geno Stone, I don't know what to necessarily make of him. I don't know how it's necessarily going to translate what role you're going to play him in but he's not even 21 years old yet turns 21 next week. He's been ridiculously productive. He's allowed a passer rating of 44.0 in his coverage over his career. That's his career number when targeted in two plus years in two years as a starter for Iowa. And the guy's instincts and the way he plays the game of football is on just another level. Like I just have not, it doesn't exist in the safety class, the way he sees the game. No one else has it. He is that good in that regard, but Again, not super athletic, not huge, not just just such an odd prospect. But I just I want him on my football team because of the way he plays the game. Yeah, I mean, I, he's not on this list here, but I think Antoine Winfield Jr., maybe not this. I mean, he more athletic than Geno Stone, but undersized, not an elite athlete. But what he does on the football field instinctually, his ball skills, how he tackles, I think all of that you can kind of fall in love with. And with Geno Stone, I remember when you texted me and said, dude, Geno Stone, he knows what's happening before it happens, all that kind of stuff in terms of instincts. And those players, especially coming out of Iowa, knowing zone coverage like they do, are always fun to watch. All right, last one here. I'm going Jalen Rager. TCU. I, I know you were high on him going into this, this season. Still high on, yeah, still high on him. I'd say it's your guy. More he was than fourth guy, on the board coming in to this yeah. year. Fourth. For I'd good look reason back. too. I, I mean, this guy super athletic, freaky explosive, and I, I think it's underrated just how good he was in 2018. Yes, everyone brings up his 2018 is better than his 2019, but he was so good in 2019. I think he was limited by quarterback play. 
limited by usage, almost exclusively playing X receiver at TCU rather than being moved around and involved closer to the line of scrimmage and those things. I think Jalen Rager in the NFL with an offensive coach that really understands his skill set gets the best out of him. And the best out of him is one of the best receivers in this class. I'm talking first round type of player. I don't know if you're buying into the 4-2-2 40-yard dash. I don't really care. What you see on the football field is raw explosion, crazy athleticism, crazy speed, great with the ball in his hands, great before. And I think the ball skill concerns I, I i'm not with it i think you see in 2018 he attacks the ball well i am on board with jalen rager inside the slot out of the slot being this versatile wide receiver one in the nfl so you know how uh, i said in the past like i would go back and forth on the judy lamb debate based on like who i saw last i've moved yeah. on from that i decided on judy i had to but now honestly like i go back and forth on rugs and rager all the time here because we go. rugs has more speed for sure but Rager like has shown the ability to get open down the field more already. Like he has done that at a higher level. And yes, it's not a get, he doesn't play the same cor- level of cornerbacks in the big 12. And yes, like that is a thing, but he plays through contact a lot, lot better than rugs does. Lugs rugs needs to have that free release. Like you need to get him one-on-one against the safety for that, you know, speed to really shine. Rager can stack a guy, you know, go hip to hip with someone and then get on top of them. That's like, that's, kind of an underrated aspect of Ruggs game that really he doesn't have. That is the reason why Devonte Smith was the guy catching those go balls and was their ex receiver this past year. The guy on the outside running the straight flies is because he could be hip to hip with someone and then stack them and then get down the football field and like make that play. You saw it against uh gosh, Derek Stingley. Like he out muscled Derek Stingley at the catch point this past year. Ruggs, you didn't see that with. Like, that's why he didn't produce down the football field, I think. So I go back and forth on that. Yes, Ruggs is more explosive. Yes, he's faster, but he's also smaller, slighter build, maybe a little more limited. I just don't know. I, I Like I said, this one is difficult for me, but yeah, I'm a fan of Jalen Rager's game. Like he, I think he's a fairly sure thing to translate to at least a deep threat in the NFL. The craziest thing I've seen that's been sprinkled around is like the Justin Jefferson and or Brandon Ayuk ahead of Jalen Rager. I just don't think those two guys threaten the defense as much as Jalen Rager. Like I think Jalen Rager is a better football player and and he will be a higher impact for your offense than Ayuk or Justin Jefferson, regardless of how productive you think they are and what you can do with the football in their hands, all those things. I think Rager, a better football player, better impact on the offense. All right, moving to this next segment here before we dive into the interviews. During the season, if you are a 2 for one drafts listener from the season, we've had a lot of new listeners come to the podcast, which we thank for sure. But if you are a listener during the season, we do have a ton of weekly or yeah, weekly bi-weekly segments and they are raise a glass, which is you raise a glass to say, you know, the best prospect performance of the previous weekend in college football, pour one out where it's like the opposite worst kind of prospect performance. There's then beer belly of the year, a fat guy that performs very well. Mike did that one like twice. (laughs) Did that one twice. Yeah. Yeah. Beer beer belly segment was few and far between, but we did that throughout the season. Micro brew. We did that probably a couple weeks, but as a small school prospect playing well and then fake ID, we do that. We did that one pretty often, but it's looking at a, prospect that isn't going into you know the 2020 draft or wasn't going into the 2020 NFL draft but was good enough to where you let him in the bar where you let him in the draft class that's that fake ID wordplay there all right let's start with this the raise the glass player of the year of 2020 might take the reins yeah so I'm saying raise the glasses in like raise their stock here as well is the end of the year award and it's the winner is pretty obvious Joe Burrow quarterback LSU 
I, I still can't. I remember watching him because I was doing the draft guide last year, the preseason draft guide. And we're trying to make cuts because I don't want to go through 250 guys right away. I did like end up including what 150 in that one, maybe 100. I yeah. can't remember off the top of my 150. I don't include like everybody, so I like have to make cuts. And I think I only included 10 QBs. And I'm watching Joe Burrow, and I'm like, I don't think so. Like he's already a Richard. This dude's already a Richard senior, and that's what he did last year. Nah, it's all right. I'm gonna go elsewhere. And so Joe Burrow didn't make it, and I feel foolish in retrospect, but that's kind of like where everyone else was on him. He was not considered that top of a prospect. So he wins it. Give a special honorable mention here to Michael Pittman jr. Who was not super on the NFL radar, despite your, uh, you falling in love with this tape. He wasn't much talked about. And then Antoine Winfield jr. As well, who was coming off back to back injury shortened years. And we just didn't know what to see from him. Had a monster seven pick year. All right. And then let's move forward here to the poor glass or pour one out. You don't have any takes on them? You you had Michael Pittman as your... Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Michael Pittman is great for the race of glass of the year. I like him as an honorable mention. He should have risen up more. Aesop Winston Jr. maybe should be... No, but uh, he did not make (laughs) it all the way up as far as Michael Pittman did. And I like the Antoine Winfield Jr. mentioned as well. I'm trying to think of others that maybe... You know, Denzel Mims has risen a ton in the pre-draft process. I think he's a raise the glass type of guy as well. You did not like his tape. I remember we talked about him a little bit. I think it was like week 10, week 12, something along those lines in college football. I'm like, hey, I kind of like what Denzel Mims. And then you were kind of against them. And for the same reasons he's not inside the top 30, 35 players on our board now, it's because the tape does not reflect what you saw at the senior bowl and what you obviously gleaned from the combine. Like you did not see it consistently like you did with other kind of explosive athletes. And I remember you made the comparison on a previous podcast to Miles Boykin. It still scares me to this day. I had nightmares about it because (laughs) there's honestly, there's honestly a lot of, a lot of similarities there. Um, But let's jump to this one. Pour one out of the year, the pour one out guy of the year. Can I take this one? I kind of want to announce. Go for it. Dig in, dive in. I remember as early as about week three during the season, I was saying, dude, your boy, Jared Pinkney's looking like, butt. <laughs> he's not, <laughs> not performing well, drops, very little production. You kept saying quarterback play, all this stuff. And then the meteoric fall continued where he ran like what, like a 505 40 yard dash on official looked terrible, terrible at the senior bowl. Literally awful at the senior bowl. He is our poor one out of the year. So yeah, coming into the season, 17th on our board. Oh I don't my even, God. <laughs> and I don't even like tight ends. I'm the guy who's like, don't draft a tight end in the first round. They don't have the value. I was like ready to risk it all for Jared Pinkney here. I, I was, know. I was I all you in called him Antonio Gates. You said he's, he's Antonio Gates. <laughs> Turns out again, it was Antonio Gates from last year, but I just didn't realize that at the time. But again, I, on this one to be in my defense, I was not the only one pro football scouting, the group that runs the combine in terms of scouts, players, and sends out the invites, had Pinckney as a first-round grade also heading into this past season. So I'm not the only... People saw the tape, and actually it brings up... I want to talk about a story from this past weekend, because Bruce Gregkowski, I was talking with him about the quarterbacks, and then he was like, I'm going to get to the tight ends over the weekend. And he's like, texting me about these tight ends. Like He's like, yeah, I haven't found a guy I really like yet. And then... He he went through my whole like me watching last summer me, to me watching over the course of the season to then me seeing his combine uh, drills over the span of like 15 minutes where he's like texting. He's like, man, I love this Pinkney guy. He's so smooth. He's got hands. <laughs> good after the catch. And I'm like, hey, Bruce, I hate to break it to you. He ran a four, nine, six. And he's just like, <laughs> oh, 
Okay. <laughs> this crush. I love Bruce. That's amazing. Oh, That's amazing. Honorable out. mentions. Honorable mentions. Bryce Hall, the Virginia cornerback, falling down boards largely because of the injury. But I mean, I still view him as a very good player in this class. And Kenny Robinson Jr. You had this guy as a first-round player heading into the season as well, the West Virginia safety. But then. Yeah, you still believe, but bows out of uh, college football, goes to St. Louis Battlehawks. I think he's inside the top 100 of PFF's board, right? 90. He's 90. Uh, but yeah, he's at, he just, the off field red flags are a little scary when you just uh, leave college football, is always like. Uh, and like you, you just, yeah, it's so hard. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it as like an NFL team. Like if you're an NFL franchise in the front office and you're thinking, yeah, we say they they have a board similar to yours. Like, hey, we see yeah. Kenny Robinson from a talent perspective as a top 100 player in this class. However, you also have to weigh in like, does any other team, will any other team take yeah. him in the third or fourth round? Like, because we don't want to be the people that like overdraft him when all the, re- the rest of the teams aren't drafted until sixth, seventh, if not undrafted. So there's a lot of like risk and sticking your neck out there for him when drafting from another league outside of the NCAA is just not something that's been done before. And I've heard this before from multiple like longtime NFL guys, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks. Teams hate being first on something. They do not like being, you know, the first to take a risk in this regard. And I think Kenny Robinson could fall out of the draft because no team no. wants to stick no. their neck no. out there. Someone's going fifth round. I'm calling okay. it right now. Fifth round, right. Kenny Robinson. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Beer belly segment. We do that every week. Highlight a fat guy. I, I love this one. It's Bakai Becton of Louisville with honorable mentions, Isaiah Wilson and Derek Brown. He's really not that fat. That was the thing. Reportedly yeah. 15% body fat at 370, which I don't know how it's possible. I like I that has to I don't know you want to see him have you searched for him shirtless yet Austin I have not but I mean we'll see everyone I, else in this class you have, so try, the, try yeah <laughs> maybe open a private browser but uh yeah dude he 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 had himself a year like he was it was a lot better the tape than we saw from him as a freshman sophomore now obviously we're still a little lower on him but like everyone sort of you know was not on a lot of radars heading into this year and everyone sort of came around on the idea of a 370 pound tackle being a top 10 pick in this draft. All right, let's move to microbrew, the microbrew of the year, the small school prospect of the year. You have here Josh Jones of Houston, and then honorable mentions Curtis Weaver, Boise State, Ben Barch, St. John's. Talk about a microbrew. Ben Barch is more micro than group of five. This guy's playing St. John's. Yeah, that one's, uh, they don't distribute. They just, you got to go there. You got to go to that brewery to get it. They're not going to, they're not going to be able to get it around town. But that's a Josh- homebrew. That's like, like <laughs> I make this for my family on Thanksgiving. Uh, dude, so we actually graded Ben Barch for some God knows why reason. It's the grade itself when we grade these like small school guys doesn't actually matter. It's to be able to like sort for his plays to watch is why we grade these guys. But at the end of the day, he did earn a 97.3 pass blocking grade, which shattered the P- previous PFF record. So the, the dude's pretty good, uh, Ben Barch. But Josh Jones. And against a little stiffer competition, although not that stiff a competition, had the highest grade we've ever given to a non-Power 5 tackle. So I think that in and of itself is a microbrew of the year. All righty. I, I really do think that Curtis Weaver is going to get slept on in this class. Can we bring up that? I mean, Curtis Weaver right now valued as edge three on PFF's board, a, a first-round caliber player on PFF's board. But I, would you be surprised if Curtis Weaver fell to day three just because people yeah. hate – like NFL teams hate his body type? No, I wouldn't be surprised. He's just he, – no, it doesn't look the part. It's a, it's a weird – he has a weird game. And I, mm-hmm. I go back and forth on it myself because it's – 
not exactly like you try to give a comp for him and you're like that's that sucks that guy's not like like there's no comp for him really in yeah. terms of what he plays so it is odd but like there's something to that seven second three count at his at his weight with his odd ass body type it's that's how he wins like they just they yeah. do ducks and dips and kind of uses his hands well and gets to the qb a little preview to uh, Wednesday's podcast. We're going to have Curtis Weaver on the podcast. Going to interview him tomorrow. All right, last part here before we dive into interviews with Ian Harditz and um, Chase Claypool. We have fake ID of the year. Justin Fields is the winner of Ohio State. And an honorable mention, Trevor Lawrence and Derek Stanley. You know why I'm surprised by this? Because I feel like every week we were saying Jamar Chase could be a fake ID. I can't believe you're not bringing up oh, Jamar Chase. Like Jamar too... Chase. There's uh, Okay. I mean, that's fair. He he deserves an honorable mention, but we stuck with the two honorable mentions per. Justin Fields was the second highest grade quarterback in the country, though. You know, fair. Like, yeah, he was. Is there is there more of a conversation to Justin Fields being better than Trevor Lawrence? Like, is is there a legit conversation? Because it's been tanked for Trevor for a while now. But it's just it's Justin Fields. Can you completely rule Justin Fields out right now? I think he might be more accurate than Trevor. Trevor's just got a hose though. And like can do it all. And it's not like inaccurate. He's very accurate, but like Justin Fields, when the, he lets it rip, like it goes where it wants to go. Uh, I do think that offense is a little easier, a little more quarterback friendly statistically than Clemson's gotcha. offense. Yeah. And like might lead to a little easier grading profile, but I don't know. Well, like I, I, I still lean Trevor cause you know, Field sort of biggest advantage you would think is his legs, but Trevor's probably going to run like a four, six at the combine. That dude is a freak of nature just with how he plays quarterback position. So I think it is close, but to me it's Trevor. Uh, and I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. It's not just, yeah, I mean, and Derek Stingley is another good honorable mention. He was fantastic last year. Talking to Christian Fulton, he was saying that Stingley does not talk a lot, maybe less than Christian Fulton. But, I mean, uh, this guy this guy's a very special player. I think Jamar Chase needs to be thrown in the mix as well. Talk about a hose, by the way. I saw Brett Favre highlights show up on the timeline recently. Dude, some of those throws are just absolutely absurd. I cannot believe. Brett, going back and watching Dude, Brett Favre, he looks different. Growing up he looks watching. different. It looks different than like how NFL you know, current quarterbacks throw the football. It's kind of wild. All right, well, we're going to jump to the interviews now. Before we jump to those, let's go ahead and bring this up again. If you leave a review on the podcast – oh, I didn't, I didn't say this at the top of the podcast, Mike. If you leave a review after April 12th on the podcast that includes your favorite prospect in this class – and you send a screenshot and email it to me at austin.gale at pff.com. We are going to not just give a draft guide. We are going to give an edge subscription, an edge monthly subscription to 10 randomly selected emailers, I guess is the best way to put it. So leave a review on the podcast today or throughout the before the draft. Send a screenshot of that email uh, review. Send it to me at austin.gale at pff.com. And we are going to set you up with an edge monthly subscription. All right, Mike, anything else to add? No, that's it. Good show. Good show. Good stuff. All right, let's dive into the interviews with Ian Harditz of Rotor World and Notre Dame's Chase Claypool. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is Ian Harditz of Rotor World, a guy that I've followed on Twitter for a long time now. Really do appreciate his work. It's great to get you on the podcast, Mike. Ian, how you doing? Doing great, man. Appreciate you having me on. Of course, dude. And so talk to me a little bit. Let's start here with your background a little bit, because for those who don't follow you on Twitter and do appreciate your work already, I'd love for you to kind of dive in and how you started with Rotor World, what you're focusing on there, et cetera. 
Yeah, man, I, I just loved the game of football my entire life. I and mean, I played up until uh, my college years. I was never going to amount to anything. You know, I was this D3 football uh, ball player. So uh, it's, it's not like I ever gave up a career or anything like that. But once I was done uh, playing the game, wanted to keep uh, keep on, you know, following the sport I love. So just kind of been writing, uh, researching nonstop about football now for the better part of the last seven, eight years. And for the last year, it's been exclusively uh, with Roto World. Before them, I was with Fantasy Labs Action Network, which was fantastic. But, uh, you know, since I've been with NBC Sports and Roto World, just been nothing but a good time working with Josh Norris and all those guys. So it's uh, pretty impossible for me to complain about any job that pretty much 99% of the time I just get to focus on football. So, yeah. Fantastic. I mean, we had Josh Norris on the podcast recently. He offered some great insight, highlighted uh, Baltimore Ravens running back Justice Hill as a second year breakout candidate. I kind of want to oh, talk to Josh. you. I kind of want to talk to you about <laughs> second year uh, breakout candidates. If you don't follow Ian Harditz on Twitter, it's I Harditz, H-A-R-T-I-T-Z on Twitter. He's got two pictures of two of my favorite movies, actually. Remember the Titans and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I love both of those. Those are those are great movies. Anyway, um, Ian, let's start with this. Let's start with the 2020 NFL Draft. On the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast, we talk rookies and we talk draft prospects. Uh, maybe you haven't div- dived into the class a ton like PFF has, diving like deep into offensive line, defensive line, etc. But from a skill player's perspective, who are some of your guys in this class, guys that you've watched and really, really do like heading into the NFL? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like you said, I, I've been dove into all these prospects, however, heels uh, just yet. I like, I like to, I like to let, uh, you know, main college analysts kind of focus on that. And then once they get on the NFL rosters, we can really begin to uh, start attacking these guys in their 2020 projections. Let's face it, you know, you can love a player, but if he ends up on the wrong team, the wrong depth chart, it's going to hurt his chances. So I like to kind of have all those things together before I get my full picture of a player. With that said, Two guys that are really sticking out to me right now. Number one is Memphis running back slash wide receiver Antonio Gibson. Um, I have like a soft spot in my heart for these like dual threat running back wide receiver hybrids. I still think Tavon Austin and Cordero Patterson, if they can just find the right scheme, maybe they can do something and get people to stop calling them bust. But for <laughs> me, Antonio Gibson looks like he's just a playmaker. And no matter how you get in the ball, kick return running, receiving. The dude had 14 touchdowns and only 77 touches. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I know some people, they look at touchdowns and it's, oh, it's, you got to get the opportunity to do that. But to an extent, I do think that scoring is a skill, especially when you see someone, like, again, 14 and 77 touches is just ridiculous. And to have seven plays of 50 plus yards with that, uh, you know, we've only seen a one year of evidence with it. Uh, I, I know we don't have this Again, perfect kind of role for Gibson, every single NFL offense, but put him with someone like a, a Shanahan, put him with a McVay, someone that just lets him do what he does best, which is get the ball in the open field and make plays. I think Antonio Gibson could be a lot of fun sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I love Antonio Gibson. I've been talking to Mike about this, but like get him in a role where he's playing in the slot, playing outside in the backfield, just do anything you can with him. And he offers a ton of kick return value as well. Special teams value. I think you, know, you liken him to the, you know, Corderell Patterson types. I know you're a big Corderell Patterson fan. What's your opinion of LaVisca Chenault Jr.? Cause I think he gets comped to those types as well. Corderell Patterson, where involving him in the backfield, getting creative with his usage is so important. And I'm glad you brought up scheme and depth chart in terms of how a, how a you know prospect will produce in the NFL because it's so important. If LaVisca Chanel or Antonio Gibson, rather, is used just at outside receiver, you're not going to get the production you would if you used him more creatively. So getting back to LaVisca, what's your opinion of him? Man, it's just so tough. I 
uh, a lot of things you said, like, yeah, it could work. I, I could see a scenario where uh, he goes ahead and kind of fulfills that potential. But I did go ahead and I, I went to, I went through the last basically nine or 10 years of data with these rookie performers. Cause you know, pretty much I'm just trying to project how they're going to do in 2020 uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. And right now, I mean, only 80% of rookie running backs to finish as a top 24 fantasy performer since 2010 have been drafted in the top three rounds. And it's 85% when we go to wide receivers. But with that, we've had 26 running backs finish as top 24 fantasy performers, only 13 wide receivers. So oh, wow. that and just the reality that I believe it was um, uh, Podfather Matt Kelly brought this up, which I thought was a really good point. I know this wide receiver class is incredible. I know there's, you know, literally a dozen guys that could potentially be awesome rookies, but how much stock are you putting in to the reality that a lot of these guys probably aren't going to be able to even warm up and practice with their quarterbacks until August or September, best case. No, that's, that's a great point. And I think for guys like LaVisca Chanel, guys that like their role is not cut and dry, you know, it's going to be, have to be something creative where packages are created for them and things like that. I would be, I, I'm not a huge fantasy football player, but I know there's like best ball opportunities before the draft dynasty, et cetera. Like I would be very nervous to draft players that need creative roles in the NFL to have true success before the draft. Cause until you find out where they're going to go, you're not going to have a really good understanding of how often they'll be used, the opportunities, et cetera. Let's, let's dive into the NFL a little bit, ask you a similar question that we asked Josh Norris, but give me some guys, maybe some under the radar types, second year breakout candidates in the NFL. I didn't sound like you love the Justin Hill comp, but let, let me know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, Justice Hill is awesome. I, I mean, he looked so good in the preseason last year. And with a big role, yeah, I'm sure he could be just fine in that Baltimore Ravens offense. But the problem with Justice, in my opinion, is that he's two injuries away from having what would be what I consider, you know, a warranted second year breakout role. Because if Mark Ingram goes down, like Gus Edwards is still going to be getting 15 carries a game in that backfield. And then it kind of be Justice to get whatever, uh, you know, Lamar passes off. I think we all got a little too excited about Justice playing 50% snaps in that AFC divisional game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Ingram had to leave, you know, week 16 with a calf injury. We weren't even sure if he was going to suit up for that game. And they were playing from behind the entire time. So both those things, I don't think we should really assume are going to happen all that often in 2020. Love the player with Justice Hill, but I don't think the opportunity will quite be there. With that said, I don't know if my running, like I think you can poke holes in my uh, running back breakout candidate as well, because it's Tony Pollard. And nice. you know a lot of the things we said about Antonio Gibson, I mean, hell, they're pr- very similar prospects in terms of the wide receiver running back hybrid that can play in the slot and provide kick return value. Now, I know everyone goes, all right, you know, we saw the Cowboys talk about Tavon Austin getting dozens of touches. Like they don't know how to use these gadgety type players, but it is, you know, new coaching staff. I know Kellen Moore still calling plays there, but we have a chance to see more of a, you know, legit hybrid type player thrive in a potentially a slightly new system. And right now, just looking at the depth charts, like the Cowboys don't have a slot wide receiver. Randall Cobb is in Houston, obviously Gallup and Cooper are on the outside, but if they truly want to get their 11 best players on the field, you know, finding a way to get Pollard, you know, even for just 50% snaps, running back, wide receiver, whatever. I mean, one of my favorite uh, stats that you guys at PFF have is just elusive rating. Cause I know broken tackles don't necessarily, you know, lead to a ton of, uh, Extra yards, fancy, you know, broken tackles aren't necessarily the best stat for fantasy points. So I'm trying to say with that said, Pollard was number one in elusive rating. So if, uh, you know, this guy is so good, demonstrated in a smaller role year one. And I think if they really want to go out of their way to just try to get him involved, which they should, he's awesome. He has a chance to break out even if Zeke stays healthy. If Zeke doesn't stay healthy or gets suspended, I mean, we're talking legit top five uh, fantasy score at his position in 2020. 
hundred percent. I'm glad you're on the Tony Pollard train. I was listening recently to the Roto World Football Podcast, which I encourage all two for one drafts listeners to check out with Ian Hardis, Josh Norris, etc. It's a fantastic podcast. But I love the slot running back types just like you, Duke Johnson, Tony Pollard. Those guys are awesome. I I, I feel like I am pro using running backs that way to get more value out of the running back position. Find guys like Duke Johnson, Tony Pollard that can have positional versatility and offer upside as pass catchers away from the backfield. Cause you know, you always talk about prospects and running backs as their pass catching ability out of the backfield, running the Texas route, you know, flares and screens. But if you can find a running back like Johnson or Pollard that can actually run routes from the slot or an outside receiver that offers more value. That's another reason to kind of fall in love with Antonio Gibson of Memphis. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a difference. I think sometimes we look at receptions and just receiving stats and mistake that for, you know, a player being a quote unquote good receiver. I mean, Leonard Fournette caught 70 plus balls last season. That doesn't mean he's necessarily a good receiving running back. So, yes, (laughs) Pollard, you know, what we see from him, he is a legit weapon wherever he lines up. This is not a situation where, you know, we saw him get lucky with, you know, maybe some well-schemed plays and he just had, you know, mountains of space to run into guys making stuff happen it seems like nothing is there absolutely all right i want to kind of press forward a little bit do you got anybody at the receiver position because i feel like a lot of the receivers as rookies broke out already terry mclaurin aj brown of the rookie receivers maybe not a breakout candidate who's your favorite going into next year because i feel like there's a ton to like about the second year receiver class with aj brown terry mclaurin dk metcalf there's just a ton of talent in that group you're not kidding, man. I mean, Darius Slayton scored eight touchdowns and like, we're not even really going to talk about them, but uh, yeah, I'll go to Debo Samuel as like my could take a really big leap forward. And he already took, uh, like you said, like this, this guy was already awesome last year. A lot of rookie wide receivers were already awesome last year, but with Debo, I just see a situation where his usage should even increase more. And we can see him make an even bigger jump than what he was already doing. I mean, first of all, Kyle Shanahan knew exactly how to get the most out of Debo already. 14 carries, 159 yards, three touchdowns, just as a rusher. And then Debo went, went ahead and finished 10th in yards per target, 15th in yards per run among all wide receivers. Just awesome with whatever they asked him to do. And, you know, if we dig beneath just kind of the counting stats a little more, it was ridiculous just how efficient he was and how good he was with the ball in his hands. Only A.J. Brown averaged more yards after the catch per reception. Lamar Jackson was the only non-running back with more broken tackles. So, truly, I mean, Debo, the end arounds the short screens, the way they get him involved is just awesome for his awesome, you know, yards after the catch ability. And coming in the NFL, we're kind of worried if he was just as complete enough wide receiver, you know, run a nuanced route tree and all this from day one. He doesn't have to be. And Shanahan isn't asking him to be. And now that we have Manny Sanders gone, even if Jalen Hurd comes back, has a big, big role, let's say Trent Taylor, you know, gets more involved. Again, we have the same issue with just like if they draft Judy or one of these, uh, CD Lamb, one of these better wide receivers in the first round. How long are these players even going to have to mesh with Jimmy G before the season starts? So Debo right now, I know Kittle's number one pass game target in that option, but Debo is the undisputed number one wide receiver and one of the league's more efficient offenses and his competition. It's not, they're not going to have much of a chance to overtake him. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I remember people when they were drafted, Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, the two rookies, some were hyping up Jalen Hurd as maybe the better option. I could not believe it. Like Debo Samuel, his tape at South Carolina was insane. Like he's a guy that could legit create separation on the outside. A lot of people said he has to play in the slot. I didn't, I disagree, but what he can do after the catch, before the catch, all those things, he's been great. Another guy I like, maybe he broke out early in the season. I remember the first week he scored like a ton of fantasy points on like two or seven routes is I think what it was is Marquise Brown, the Baltimore Mm -hmm. 
Ravens wide receiver. I think usage has to improve. He has to have more opportunities, but from a big play potential, he has all of it and then some. All right, getting back to the offseason a bit. I know this is the two-for-one drafts podcast, but I want to talk about the NFL offseason. Give me some of your favorite moves from the offseason, maybe one that impact fantasy the most or maybe just impact the game the most. Obviously, Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers probably shifts the NFL landscape the most, but was that one of your favorite moves or give me another one? I think my favorite move was actually a trio, and it was by the Eagles, who honestly, like when I just go through the NFC, I, I put the Saints as kind of the clear-cut front runners, in my opinion, but I got the Eagles number two, even over some of these other squads like San Fran, and it's really what they did to that defense. First of all, they, you know, they made Javon Hargrave now the, the highest-paid nose tackle in the league, and the thing with Hargrave, I'm hesitant sometimes, you know, because again, free agency, that means one team's letting a player go, they got to go loon learn new scheme usually our expectations are high are you know higher than what reality ends up being uh with free agent uh acquisitions and all that but hargrave he's going from a very talented defensive line in pittsburgh to a very talented uh, defensive line in philly i mean with having you know graham malik jackson is going to be back fletcher cox they already have tons of talented guys on that eagles d-line so i don't think we need to necessarily downgrade a hargrave because once again he's surrounded by talented teammates so the Eagles, once again, have a great defensive line. Well, that's not new. They've had a great defensive line, you know, for the better part of the last half decade at a minimum, but it's their secondary that they finally fixed. I mean, literally, number one wide receivers against the Eagles have just been on absolute fire for like the last three years. They just have not been able to slow down anyone, and they didn't even add to the cornerback room last season just because they thought, let's get everyone healthy, see what they can do. We saw what they can do, and it still wasn't very good. Trading for Darius Slay, who I know he didn't grade out the best in some coverage stats last year, but in, just in terms of a guy who is actually asked to consistently shadow number one wide receivers, moving to this slot. No safety help. I mean, you could not have asked for just a worse situation for Slade to be in last year. And, you know, he still rose to the occasion, comp- competed, you know, every single game, all that. So you finally got a guy that can be with number one wide receivers. And then a little more under the radar was Nikel Roby Coleman that they got to go in the slot. And he's been one of the better slot cornerbacks in the league uh, for the last few years in various, you know, coverage metrics. So I honestly think the Eagles have their two best cornerbacks that they've had now in the last three or four years. And they added yet another dominant guy in the defensive line. So, you know, I know we have this insane stretch of NFC East division champions haven't been able to repeat for like the last 15 years, but I really do think the Eagles, because of the moves they made on defense, put them in a prime position to do so in 2020. That's 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 a great call. And I have a few things there. One, I love Javon Hargrave. I remember writing about him maybe two years ago now, seeing him as this kind of breakout candidate in Pittsburgh. Dude, very good at, at the line of scrimmage, quick off the snap, wins as a pass rusher early in the down. I think that's exactly what the Eagles want to work alongside Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox, a guy that wins early in one-on-one situations. And that Eagles defense got so much better with Darius Slay. I want to comment on his grading a bit. Yes, he did not grade super well, but losing at the catch point still counts as losses in PFS system, but consistently being at the catch point is what's impressive about Darius Slay's tape. I tweeted out shortly after the trade that I love the move for the Philadelphia Eagles because what Darius Slay from a match and mirror ability is up there with the best in football. What he can do to stick with the best receivers in the NFL is super impressive, but I'm going to finish you. I'm going to finish this, uh, finish the interview with this. All of that said about the Eagles, you know, best two cornerbacks they've had in some time, adding Javon Hargrave. What about Carson Wentz? I feel like he's the piece of the puzzle that needs to really outplay expectations for them to go the distance. What's your opinion of Carson Wentz? Can he live up to high expectations? I think so. I would just love to see Carson for once play a season or even half the season where he gets to keep his uh, weapons and they get to stay healthy. Because let's look back at Carson's career, you know, rookie year, 2016, 
not much. 2017 plays like a freaking MVP candidate until he gets hurt, you know, week 13, week 14. 2018 comes around. The big difference in the Eagles offense from 2017 and 2018 was they just did not have a field stretcher anymore. It's not like they, they never had just an elite, you know, top five yards per reception guy. But in that Super Bowl run, Torrey Smith and rookie year Matt Collins were both very vital to that. Vital enough that, you know, safeties at least had to pay them some mind and they lined up on the other side of the field. When Torrey left in 2018, they tr- tried to replace him with Mike Wallace. Wallace got hurt. Hollins got hurt. All of a sudden, Carson had no one to stretch the field. Four guys like Ertz and Goddard, you know, can thrive in the intermediate areas. 2019, what they do? They recognize the problem. They went out, try to get to Sean Jackson. They added J.J. Ortega, Whiteside in the draft. I know he's not a speedster, but, you know, at least devoting high draft capital to the position. Well, D.J.X. was fantastic for one week. Then he, you know, misses the rest of the season, more or less. Uh, Ortega, Whiteside did absolutely nothing. So, Carson has shown a legit MVP level ceiling in this league. Just every single time they try to set the offense up to maximize its strength, guys have been getting hurt. Right now, they don't have as many wide receivers as we like. But if, you know, I'm ferociously knocking on wood right now, if the wide receivers can stay healthy for just one year, I mean, Alshon with DJX, with those tight ends, with hopefully another, you know, day one talent they can draft in the position, I think he's going to have best weapons of his career and hopefully the best chance to put it all together for 16 games. I'm with you. I think an injection of talent, specifically explosiveness at the receiver position is needed for the Philadelphia Eagles to really have success because Zach Ertz can't have all the targets in the world. I think you need a guy that can create separation at the intermediate and deep levels of the football field. I think adding a day one caliber talent at 21 in this draft, I think makes sense. I also think that having Deshaun Jackson, like you said, healthy for 16 games would have a very positive impact on this Eagles offense, specifically Carson Wentz. Ian, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks again. Thanks a bunch, man. This was fun. Absolutely. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former Notre Dame wide receiver Chase Claypool. Chase in Canada right now. How are things? Things are good right now. Um, yeah, I'm just here waiting for the draft and whatnot, but it's good to be back with family um, and uh, just try- trying to enjoy this off now. Are you attending the virtual draft? I saw that note sent out by the NFL saying you'd be – our team, you know, players are attending. Are you attending the virtual draft? Yeah, so my agent called me about that, and he was telling me uh, – I'm not sure exactly what that entails, but um, I'm kind of excited to kind of <laughs> be a part of something new. Yeah, I don't know what anyone – I don't know if anyone knows exactly what that entails, but it will be interesting. Let's get to you as a prospect, though. I think obviously – had an outstanding combine. Walk me through what went into that combine prep, what you did to kind of prepare for yard dash, all that stuff. Was were, Did any of those numbers surprise you? Because I feel like a lot of evaluators were surprised by how well you performed. Um, personally, I wasn't surprised at all. It's because, um, you, know, I've been, you know, I've been training, getting the numbers from the speed coaches and all that. And um, I kind of knew, I kind of expected what I was going to run based off the training that I had prior. Um, Ryan Capretta and Andy Campbell at practice force did a really good job in getting me ready and being able to expect a time, so I'm not uh, thrown off by any numbers I get. Gotcha. And what have what have some of the feedback from teams have been in this you know this pre-draft process? I'm sure you're doing a lot of Skype and FaceTime interviews. What have they said they liked about your game? What they don't like about your game? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So. Um, all the teams that I've talked to seem to like the versatility that I have in terms of being able to play different positions, um, you know, across the field. So I think that kind of interests teams. Um, 
then, you know, they just install offenses and they want to see how they learn and whatnot. Gotcha. And then, so going into the NFL, I mean, a lot of people talked about, at least before the combine, you potentially make, because you were that big bodied receiver, potentially making that switch from wide receiver to tight end. What What is your ideal position in the NFL? Where do you see your best usage being in the NFL? Um, I mean, honestly, I think I can play all over. Like, obviously, this last year I played on the outside and, you know, I had a good year. So um, I played kind of on the inside my first couple of years in college. So, I honestly don't think there's a an exact spot that I would excel at, but not feel like I can kind of do it all. Hopefully, gotcha. And, and go, going into the NFL or going into this draft, what do you think separates you in this class in this in this receiver class? Because it's a very good wide receiver class. I'd be interested to know what make, what makes you one of the better ones. Yeah, so uh, I think it's just like I said, this is a versatility, uh, kind of having a combo side of speed. You know, there's a lot of fast guys that are a little smaller, and then there's some slow guys that are bigger. Um, so I, I think just having that combination of the two um, interest teams, and then my special teams, uh, what I bring to the special teams unit. Gotcha, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Hey, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yeah.